Hi folks, welcome to this week's episode of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is Brand Me Up, a guide to online marketing. It's very competitive in the world of small business, but by the same token, there has never been a better time for business owners to engage with their potential customers in the online environment. In today's show, I speak to Joel Gershman, the Managing Director of The Change Coach. In Joel's role, he cuts through the noise and guides his clients to use online marketing to engage with potential customers. The result, a reliable funnel of new prospects eager to buy your product or service. We also discuss how online marketing meshes with the more traditional forms of marketing and the fact that the journey doesn't end once customers use your services for the first time. So whether you're in business and looking to harness the power of online marketing, or you're a consumer who wants to get insight into the strategies company use to attract your business, this show is a must listen. Of course, we have my usual segments. In Ruben's rant, I discuss Labor's proposed modification to their franking credits refund. And in Propellerhead of the Week, I discuss why your financial planner and accountant need to get on. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes, search the Finance Hour and leave me a review. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and business and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zeller. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We're a boutique financial advice firm that work with business owners, professionals and those planning for retirement. Uh, We've been doing this podcast for about a year now, so if you want to hear any previous versions, first of all, please go and subscribe on iTunes, search The Finance Hour, or you can go to my website, adaptwealth.com.au slash podcast, and we've got them all listed there as well. Uh, Just some words from our lawyers. Nothing that we say today uh, is advice, or it's not personal advice, it's just general advice. Uh, if you're going to do something, get some advice from uh, an accountant, a lawyer, a financial planner, or the next door neighbour you who comes over for the barbecue. But don't think about suing me, Jair, uh, my business, or anybody else for anything that we say. So uh, today on the show we have Joel Gershman, uh, who I've had on before. Uh, Joel is uh, a business coach an educator in business growth, in management and leadership, and the managing director of The Change Coach. Uh, He's also the co-author of a top-selling book, top-selling Amazon book, called The Mindful Entrepreneur, which charts the journey from distress to success of one of Joel's clients, Howard Finger. So we're going to be talking with Joel about business, uh, business growth, uh, small business, which is something that I'm uh, particularly passionate about. And in particular, we're going to be talking about online digital marketing for business. But before we uh, get to Joel, uh, it is time for Ruben's rant. Now, my rant this week is about the franking credits uh, refund ban, which uh, Labor has announced. Uh, As I discussed a couple of weeks ago, I do see some merit in this, uh, in something along these lines, but I don't like the way that they've implemented it. I think it was a blunt instrument. What they've done is is they've basically put it across every single person, be it super fund, pension owner, pensioner, etc. Now, they've gotten some backlash, as I expected, and I said what they should do is put a limit on the refund, say about $2,000 per person or per fund, and that would be a simple way not to affect a whole lot of people. But the way the announcement that they've made, if it comes in, is much more complex. They're going to exclude all pensioners... Uh, and part pensioners from the from the band, so they're all going to be able to get their franking credits back. Um, but self-funded retirees, so people who might have more than eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in assets, and self-managed super funds will all still be caught up. 
Except, and here's a bit of complexity, if you've got a self-managed super fund and at least one person was receiving a pension before the 28th of March, which is today, uh, then they'll be exempt. So that's just another very interesting compliance thing, which I don't know how it'll come in in practice, but it's certainly complex. So the three problems I have with how Labor have now announced it is number one, complexity, uh, differentiating between pensioners and non-pensioners and self-managed super funds is going to create complexity. Secondly, it's going to create a greater incentive once again to, the, to get the age pension. Uh, there's a problem now with the way Centrelink works in that you really can be incentivized to have lower assets to get a greater age pension. And the fact that pensioners are going to get franken credit refunds as well is going to lead to more people trying to get into that pensioner framework, which in the end is going to cost uh, the taxpayer more dollars uh, because it's discouraging self-funded retirees. And thirdly, I do think this unfairly targets the self-managed super funds. Uh, We discussed with John Moroney of the SMSF Association last week that it appears that self-managed funds are going to be affected by this, but people who are in other funds, such as industry funds or bank-owned funds, may still not be affected by the way the tax system works. So that is it for my rant of the week. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, the Franken Credits ban is likely to feature again in future rants. So we're just going to take a quick break uh, and then we will have, I will introduce Joel Gershman. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. Uh, the topic of this week's show is digital marketing in businesses. We have got uh, Joel Gershman here. With me in the studio for the second time, Joel is a business coach, uh, an educator in business growth management and leadership, and the managing director of The Change Coach. He's also co-author of a top-selling Amazon book called The Mindful Entrepreneur, which charts the journey from distress to success of one of Joel's clients, Howard Finger. Now, Joel's also in recent times developed a real expertise in digital marketing, and now he often incorporates that Uh, as part of his business coaching program. Joel, uh, welcome to the show and thanks for coming in. Thanks very much for having me in here, Ruben. Good to be here again. Excellent. It's great to have you. Now, Joel, uh, the the focus, I guess, today is going to be on small uh, and medium businesses as well. So uh, we're going to talk about digital marketing, but I want to start a little bit broader and talk about uh, business in general. And I guess the first thing I would say is that it's become a really competitive market out there. And I know there are two different views of what, what it's like for small business owners. One view could be it's, it's never been more competitive. We've got big dominant players who are driving the costs of everything down, be it in retail, you know, financial services, all over. Uh, we're seeing uh, you know, rising uh, compli- increased compliance costs for small businesses. Um, and, you know, particularly around property, if, you know, rental prices or leasing office space, all of that is getting more expensive and it's really competitive out there. On the other hand, uh, people say that with the use of technology, it's never been easier to market a small business. So what, would, what view would you take about uh, the prospects or how, what it's like managing a small business in the current environment? Uh, look, I, I agree with you in the sense that there are challenges out there. Um, including the ones you you mentioned. And in some industries, it's perhaps more difficult than others. But as a whole, what I see is that if you're willing to be innovative um, and forward-thinking as a business owner, there's often opportunities for growth. Um, And we're going to talk in more detail about you know, digital marketing and, and other forms of, of online marketing. And that's one area that can enable you to get ahead despite some of the complexities mm. and challenges of the current mm. market. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think uh, one of the uh, important things is talking about uh, business growth because it's really important for all businesses to grow in a way because if you stand still, if your revenue's the same one year after another, you're actually going backwards when you take uh, inflation into account. Um, so the question is, is, is what are the main drivers uh, in general, not, not just in the digital space, what can be the main drivers for, for businesses actually to grow? Yeah, look, I think it's really important for business owners to take a step back and understand what it is that drives growth. Once you understand what drives the growth, you can then start tapping into those growth drivers in a, in a much more deliberate, strategic way. And I find that there are really three primary drivers, if you like, of growth. 
You know, the first for any business is the number of leads a business generates. That's the first one. How mm-hmm. many people are coming to you? Yeah. Second driver is your conversion rate of those leads into sales. Right? So you've got all these people coming to you. What percentage of them, how many of them are you converting into actual sales? And finally, the third driver is the value you generate from each customer. So, you know, in a particular situation, you know, if you can generate X amount from a particular customer, fantastic. But if you can increase that value, you're obviously going to increase Mm. growth of your business. And that last one is actually a function of, of three different components. One is your retention rate. How many of these customers are you retaining from one year to the next? Um, The second one is how much of the value you earn per sale. Yeah. And last of all, how many sales per customer per year are you able to generate? Mm, mm. And that that all sounds a bit theoretical, but let me just make it practical for you, just give you an example. Um, And it's important to know this because growth in any one of these factors will obviously increase revenue. But when you grow along a number of these factors, it creates what I call a multiplier effect Mm. that can truly revolutionize a business. So by way of example, one of my customers is a podiatrist. Yeah. Right? Let's take that as an example. And among other things, he sells orthotics for somewhere around, let's call it in round numbers, $1,000 a pop. Okay? Um, Now, if he can increase the number of leads he gets by just 10%. Yeah. What's going to happen is he's going to increase his revenue by somewhere around 1%. So, for example, if he brings in 50 leads a year on average and he can increase that to 55, he will increase his revenue. Yeah. Make sense? Makes sense, yeah. Um, But here's the interesting thing. If he can increase his conversion rate of Mm. those leads who come in, by another 10%, let's say he's got a 50% success rate of converting Mm. leads to sales and he increases that to 60%, well, he'll increase his overall revenue by somewhere around 3%. Yeah. Right? And But here's where it gets interesting. So 3% is not going to make a massive difference to a business. But if he can also increase his prices by just 10%, Mm. he can go from 1,000 to 1,100, suddenly he's going to see somewhere around 13% growth. Yeah. If he can then um, increase the number of transactions each customer makes with him per mm. year by 10%, he'll then in- see 24% growth. Mm. And finally, if he can increase his retention rate year on year, so customers come back and they buy their next pair of orthotics yeah. the, the previous year, the, the following year, he'll see somewhere close to 35% growth. Mm. And that can make a significant difference to a business. Yeah. Okay, so let's just talk about then, I guess, the first part of that, which is getting uh, leads into the business. And let's just talk about, let's go back 20 or even 30 years to businesses and just, you know, what did they, how did businesses do that in the past, traditionally? Um, and, you know, how's that different to the way to the way we can do it now? And the way we've done it in the past, is there still a space for that uh, in, in today's environment? Yeah, so... Um, old school marketing. Yeah. In this the old sort of cold sp- calls. The old cold calls. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look in in the in the podiatry space. I'm not sure that people were necessarily cold calling. Yeah. But if you're talking in general, mm. in businesses, you know, you had a sign up outside your business. Yeah. Um, hopefully, bringing in. Or if you were the cars, you had by. one of those those big blowy things. They're still out there. <laughs> they are the, still the out big there. blowy scarecrows. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wonder what their return on investment is. <laughs> They're pretty cheap. Um, um, but yeah, you have strategies like cold calling. Yeah, um, you know these sort. You know, putting something in the yellow pages yeah. was enough. So actually, literally, just signage outside of a shop. That was absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and people are still and doing people that still today. Do that. Yeah. And and having said that, there's a place for that. Mm. Um, we might call this old school advertising. Yeah. And in some ways, you could say it's it's a little bit outdated. I don't think anyone's using the yellow pages anymore. No. Um, but. There is a place for some of these strategies mm. if they're integrated with 
more modern, what you might call online or digital right. strategies. And I suppose there was the whole thing like the letter drop as well. I mean, that still happens, the brochure drop. The, the letter drop, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. in, you know, it's funny because in some industries, this is making a little bit of a comeback. Yeah. Because these days we get so much via email that we're actually not getting a lot of mail. Yeah, it's interesting. And so when you get something, it, it sometimes stands out. Yeah, yeah. But if it's just one of those sort of, I don't know, $10 pizzas from the local thing, I mean, for me, that goes straight in the bin. <laughs> Absolutely. But, okay, so, um, and then obviously there was just other general advertising, There's which is still going, you know, radio advertising, television advertising, that sort of thing as well. But I guess that's more of a, of a scattergun type approach. You're not necessarily getting to a specific market. Yeah. The, the, the Well, look, again, it depends how you do it. Yeah. Um, people show things, uh, put things on radio at certain times to mm. appeal to different sorts of audiences. Yeah. Oh, and I should say that anyone who wants to uh, advertise on Jair, we have got a fantastic affluent audience that covers the entire Jewish community. So uh, please contact David Green from Jair if you want to advertise on this wonderful station. Sorry, just a quick plug there. Joel, no go problems, ahead. No problems. <laughs> yeah, so, so these sorts of channels um, do still have their place, mm. but I think they need to be integrated with a, a digital marketing approach as well. Yeah. And and just to give you one example, one of my clients advertises on radio, yeah. um, and they are an organization that's involved in selling tickets to various kinds oh, of yes. events, including sporting events. Yeah. So one of their strategies is to put things on sports radio yeah. stations. Yeah. They're appealing to the sports audience. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're actually inviting listeners to then come back to a landing page mm, specifically connected to that. their website. So, yeah. you, you know, I, I often I believe that the whole notion of digital marketing is actually a misnomer. Mm. Right? In my mind, there's no such thing as Digital. Let me be controversial for a moment. There's mm. no such thing as digital marketing. There's marketing, and in da- today's day and age, digital marketing is an essential part of an integrated approach. Mm. You can't really have marketing, even if you're putting a, throwing a flyer out there, right? Even if you're doing a letter drop, um, you're going to invite people to come back to your website. Yeah, correct. That's so, the first place that people always go to. Absolutely. Yeah, whether they're whether they're referred by a family friend or whether they see you on television or radio, you're right. That's always where they're going to go. So you can't ignore that component, Mm. even if you want to use what are traditionally seen as non-digital approaches. Yeah. Okay, so then in terms of those um, approaches, when you sort of see small businesses, uh, in terms of their marketing um, strategies or their strategies of attracting clients, leads, converting them, what are the the typical gaps um, that you'll see uh, in terms of these businesses, what they're not doing properly and what where maybe digital marketing can can fill the gap? Right. It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, we talked about the first driver of growth being generating leads. Mm. Now, obviously, in order to generate leads, you have to build awareness. People have yep. to know about you. Yep. And I find that this is a, a major gap for small to medium-sized business owners. Mm. Um, because what's happening is then they're often not thinking strategically about how to build awareness. It's either not done at all. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how many small to medium-sized business owners um, I talk to are not actually doing anything proactively to generate awareness yep. in their target market. They're relying on referrals coming in passively. Yeah. Um, and let me say, if you can run a growing business through passive referrals, then good luck to you. Yeah. But I think for many business owners in today's competitive market, it's just not enough. Mm. Um, the other issue is the one we were just talking about, and that's the digital side. So a lot of businesses haven't really got their head around digital. I mean, they have mm. a website, mm. clearly, but they're not sure how to utilize social media effectively. They may have dabbled in it, but never really seen results. Um, they're not exactly sure how to optimize their um, website on Google. Mm. And so they're not really adopting a, um, a deliberate strategic awareness building approach mm. through the digital mechanisms. Yeah. And, and the last thing connected to this whole idea of building awareness is 
that for many of them, they're not actually measuring their return on investment. So even if no. they are doing something, even mm. if they're dabbling in social media, they're often not sure whether they're what's actually profitable. What's not working. Yeah. And, and yeah. as a result, it's hard to know what to reinvest in, whether mm. to stop it, whether to start it, whether to try something different. And so I see this as, what, as the first key challenge or yeah. gap that many businesses are facing. Well, it's interesting because, you know, just talking about digital media, you know, we, you've mentioned already a few different things. There's SEO, there's your website, there's, you know, there's all the social media and there are so many social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. It can really be overwhelming. It can really be overwhelming to work out what you should do, what's working, etc. You know, even I, and I'm probably in that Gen X generation, um, not brought up on social media, but certainly using it now. But sometimes it's just difficult to know where to start and which ones to focus on. Absolutely. And, and in fact, that is the, one of the key challenges. Mm. You know, they, they call it um, analysis paralysis. How Correct. do I know where to begin? So in, in that case, I actually don't begin anywhere. Yeah. Or, or maybe even worse, I do it in a scattergun way. I just right. randomly try things yeah. and hope that they'll work. <laughs> well, at least that gets you moving, doesn't <laughs> it? It does get you moving, <laughs> mate. Perhaps. <laughs> Um, but you end up wasting some money in the process, yeah. Uh, unless you're very lucky and happen to hit mm. on a magic strategy. So, is there a, f- a very first step? Like, is is the very first step Facebook? Is it LinkedIn? Is it SEO? Is there is there a first step that people should do? Good question. And my answer is yes, but it's not the first step that you might be thinking of. The first step is an analysis step, mm. and the first step is to ask yourself: Where does your target market search mm. for you? your type of service or product, and where do they hang out? So I'll give you an example. So I mentioned the podiatrist. Um, we can use that as a running example. Yeah. Um, their customer, question is where do their customers look? Where do they search? And in their particular case, many of them, when you're looking for a podiatrist, will actually search online on Google. Sure. They'll jump on Google and they'll write in podiatrist Malvern Melbourne East or, or, yeah, exactly, or, or yep. a particular suburb. Yeah. And and so as a result, what we realized is that a strategy like AdWords or SEO mm. are powerful. Right. AdWords, just for some of the listeners who may not know how to distinguish that from SEO, mm. AdWords is the paid component of Google marketing. So if you if you type you search for something and you see these little ads at the top of the screen, yep. that's AdWords and you pay per click. Every time someone clicks on your ad, you pay Google mm-hmm. a certain amount, yeah. and in exchange for that, they put you at the top of the page. That's a very powerful form of advertising, mm. and it's incredibly easy to track return on investment. You know exactly how much you're spending. So you literally, you, you literally pay for each click that someone yes, does. and you only yeah. pay per click, right? Right, and then you, so you know how many of them are coming to your website. You can then track how many of them. I don't know, uh, sign up to something. Exactly. It's, it's really, really measurable. It's very mm. measurable. And I, we can see within a matter of a few weeks whether this is achieving a return on investment for a particular business. Yeah. SEO, search engine optimization, is about um, enabling your website to get to the top or at least to the first page mm-hmm. of the organic area of Google. That's the area below the ads. Um, yeah. In the past um, – People thought that, you know, that was the holy grail. And in some mm. ways, it, it still is. Mm. But in in the new landscape of Google, see, Google get paid only when you pay them. They don't mm. get paid when people click on the people in the organic area. Right. They, so what they want to do is they actually want to encourage you to... Do to, the pay-per-click To pay-per-click. So yep. they've made that area look very similar to the organic area. Mm. So, for example, in this business, we decided to start with AdWords because it was measurable, could get you to the very top of the page. And these days, most people are not distinguishing between the ads and the organic results. And that achieved some really fantastic immediate results Mm. for this particular business. Um, We also then looked deeper and we said, where else do their target market hang out? And we realized that, you know, these days a lot of people are on Facebook. Yeah. Right? Their target market are not really on LinkedIn. Mm. Right? We're talking about, you know, families. Um, it's often, not always, but often 
the women who are looking for this service, for example, for their kids, yep. looking for orthotics. They're um, not looking for it on LinkedIn. They're not looking <laughs> for it on LinkedIn, but they are on Facebook. They're not necessarily looking for it on Facebook, yeah. but they are on Facebook. So if you can target them when they're on Facebook, mm. then it's a nice way of capturing that particular market, and that's yep. proven very effective yeah, as well. Yeah, well, it's, there's, there's lots of ways to really get to your audience on Facebook. I mean, we, we, in the last week or so we've had that uh horrible news about that enormous breach yes which is i don't know 50 million people or so or that they gave they gave their information i've always found that a bit weird because if i look on facebook i reckon it's got all your information there anyway so what extra stuff could they actually be selling they can see every photo of your of your kids and your work and everything so well it's just it's it's true but what's interesting about facebook and this is in in a way it's power there is probably no more powerful mechanism out there for um understanding the behavior of people right Mm. so facebook can track every single post you click on yeah if you've ever clicked on a you know a pet food post Right, mm. they're going to know that you've got an animal. Yeah, and they know exactly where you are as well in the world. They know where your location yeah. is. They know what holidays you go on. Absolutely, yeah, it's um, really frightening when you think about it's, it. It's frightening, <laughs> and that's why you know people are up in arms about their information. Yeah. On the other hand, for business owners, it's extremely powerful because mm. when you're trying to run a Facebook strategy, you can target people right down to a certain level of detail. So, you know, if you're, if you're the podiatrist, you can be searching people in a certain suburb, people mm. who may have clicked on health services in the past, people who have, may have clicked on, on something to do with foot pain. You can really target it. It's, yeah. it's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. So, okay, so those are, those are the two areas, SEO uh, and Facebook. I guess in addition to just, you know, paying for those targets, you do see uh, people developing a lot of content, doing lots of different posts, for their business, be it on Facebook or LinkedIn, I've certainly started doing that more myself. Um, so that's on a, that's called the content marketing route. So that's that's more about giving out good information uh, as opposed to specifically, you know, target advertising people. What's the what's the place for that in in the whole digital strategy? Okay, that's again um, really important question for people. So, if I, you don't mind, I want to just take a step back for a second. Yeah. You know, I talked about the first gap was a, was around building awareness. A second gap for people is even if they've built awareness of their business mm. in the the minds of their target market, um, that doesn't mean people will necessarily go ahead and buy. Right. Right. In, in the case of small purchases, like if you're at a supermarket and you see a chocolate bar, it's an impulse buy. If you feel like a chocolate right. bar, you'll pick it up and you'll buy it for a few dollars. It's not yeah. an issue. Yeah. But where you're selling something that is more expensive, maybe more risky, mm. in today's very, very savvy buyer's market, um, people won't necessarily buy immediately. No. What you need to do is build trust. Mm. You need to build the relationship. You need to build credibility. You need to give people evidence. Mm. Um, take, for example, buying a car, right? That's not an impulse buy. Mm. No one's just going to buy a car, the first car they see that looks mm. nice. These days, um, you know, I'm in the market for a car at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I've done is done extensive research yeah. online, looking yeah. at articles that people yeah. have written about different cars, reviewing them, yeah. um, looking for independent articles as much mm-hmm. as possible. Um, you know, you go around, you take cars for a test drive. Why do I do this? Because I want to build trust. I want to understand mm. and get evidence that this is going to work. And and as a result, that's led to a new form of marketing if you like which is sometimes called content marketing yeah and content marketing is essentially giving people useful or valuable information that actually helps people it Mm. helps them in their decision making process about your business Mm -hmm. but it actually helps them by dem by building trust in them in their minds yeah. So just to give you a, a couple of quick examples. So again, we're using to use the podiatrist um, example. One of the things that they have done is they've, they're doing blog posts. So as you mentioned before, yeah. they're putting blog posts out there on their website. They're putting blog posts out into social media. 
especially into Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing that for the very reason they want to build trust. They're giving help. And these are not sales posts. Yeah. You can't – this is not – you have to distinguish between selling and providing valuable content. This is not a trick. Mm. It has to be genuinely valuable. Mm. And they're putting it out via blog posts. What they've also done is they've created um, an ebook or a guide, which yeah. is, you know, in their case, it's how to cure foot pain. And it's directly targeted their market and it provides some really helpful insights. And they've put that into social media, they've mm. put that on their website and it's, so on. It's really interesting because, I mean, I've spent my career all in professional services, either in the accounting space or, you know, largely in financial advice. And what I've seen change over the years is, you know, probably even 10 or 15, 10 years ago even, you know, people would come in to see you and you were sort of the repository of information. Right, you had information which they didn't have, right, and that's become less and less. I mean, we still always have the advantage of we can we can we interpret that information for clients, which is still something difficult that people, you know, it's difficult for people to do that themselves to sort of diagnose and then do the solution. But certainly, in terms of the information, we we were maybe ten or fifteen years ago very reluctant to put out too much information out there about the technicalities of what we do that's changed that's really changed significantly that that you know we're much more likely to put out that information now because if they don't see it from us they'll see it from somewhere else 100%. so we may as well be the ones that they're, you may as well that they're be looking the for yeah, yeah. Uh, look I, I sometimes get business owners saying to me look i don't want to give away that information yeah that, that's like my ip that's what you know and and i say no the kind of content that will actually make you uh, seem to be and become an expert mm. in people's minds is the kind of content that actually hurts a little bit to give away. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't hurt, yeah. it's probably not valuable. And if yeah. it's not valuable, then people won't consume it, appreciate it, mm. and build trust around mm. as a result of it. But that would be a very big leap for people, wouldn't it? It, it can be. Mm. Because as you say, they're guarding that as their expertise. But I find that it, it has the opposite result. That when mm. you give people that content, they consume it. And if it's valuable, they actually want more. They, because as you say, they can't do everything themselves, right? Mm. They can't. You know, if you're talking about fixing foot pain, okay, you can give them all the strategies. But at the end of the day, if they need a pair of orthotics, they're going to have to come to someone to provide that. Now, yeah. who are they going to come to? Some random person who's sent them a flyer in the mail, or they're going to go to the person who's just produced an incredibly intelligent, mm. well-researched, well-thought-out blog post explaining how to how to eliminate foot pain. Mm. Well, it's so that's I suppose putting uh, good content out there. But I guess you can also have the issue of people book get good content out there; they get lots of likes. But then, you know, you go back to what you were saying before, you know, when you do SEO, you can measure exactly who's coming through. If you're just putting content... AdWords, right. AdWords, sorry. You can measure exactly who's coming through. When you're putting, you know, good articles, interesting articles out there, you know, what's... How can you measure that? It doesn't seem to have the same, the same clear links as you can with the, with the AdWords. Yeah. And this is a, a concept that people sometimes call vanity metrics, Mm. right? I'm a big fan of measuring, Mm. right, results. But measuring things like likes are interesting and sometimes they make you feel good and that's Mm. okay. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what most business owners want is results, financial results for their business. And so what you really need to do is not just measure things like likes. You actually need to measure, let's let's say you've put an ad out there for... Mm. It could be, or it could be a blog post, or it could be a particular ad. Um, the idea is to measure how many people click on that ad. Of those clicks, how many of those people have come through to the next stage in your process? And this mm. is where a lot of business owners fall down. They don't create what's sometimes called a sales funnel. Mm. You don't just throw a blog post out there and hope that people will read it and call you. Of course, some people might. But that's not enough. What you want to do is have a deliberate funnel or a process that people are are coming through. So, for example, again, I'm going to use the podiatrist as an example. Mm. One of the things they've put out there into Facebook and other other channels is their um, their ebook for how to cure foot pain. Mm-hmm. The idea is that people click on that. They can measure how many people click on that. They then automatically go into a, an email 
they get an automated email which then invites those people to a gap-free consultation mm. where they can come in. It's not going to cost them anything if they've got appropriate insurance. Yeah. And they can come in and get an assessment. Then they measure how many of those people have come in as a result mm. of that that ebook. And then they track how many people who came in for that gap-free assessment then end up going on to buy whatever it is. It could be a, a pair of orthotics or, or some other purchase. Mm. And if you can track that, you can very easily compare that to the amount of money you've spent on that ad and see what your return on investment is. So that's actually is. very interesting because what you're saying is the measurement doesn't just stop at that digital phase. Like once everybody come into your actual physical building, you know, your podiatry clinic, you've still got to keep measuring from that point. You, you do, unless you're an e-commerce store. So some yeah. of my clients are e-commerce stores. Yeah. That's, that's even easier to track because, yeah. you know, they're buying online. So you can you can see very clearly who's clicked on a link and how many of those have actually made a purchase online. Mm. But in the case of a, a non-e-commerce business, then, yeah, you need to track at every stage of the process. Yeah. So what you're saying is one of those things, and we've all seen them, uh, is, you know, you read an article and then you say, you know, click on this to get the ebook. There's a lot of that stuff going on. You see it on social media constantly. Uh, you know, all you have to do is sign up for one one thing on something and you're getting emails. So the question is, is are people now getting more cynical about actually giving their name and email address out? Is that getting harder? Because because all this stuff is so ubiquitous now. You know, are people are people concerned about giving their details out? The, the, look, the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> in the past, going back maybe even five years ago, um, five, six, seven years ago, people were still signing up to newsletters, right? Mm. You, you know, you have it on your website, sign up to our newsletter and get, you know, latest updates. Yeah. Uh, these days, I really don't think many people are signing up for newsletters. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I've got that on my website. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go straight and remove that straight you, away. You might have to. I'm not getting a huge amount of sign-ups, so I might say either. So. <laughs> Swap that for your ebook. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Uh, most people need another newsletter like a hole in the head. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people are not going to sign up for newsletters. What you need to do is to produce genuinely good what they sometimes call epic content, mm. right? It has to be really good. If it's not really good, it's not going to create cut through. Mm. Right? If it's just another me too piece of information that everyone else is talking about, then again, why do people need it? So it has to be genuinely valuable information um, or, or some sort of useful um, tool or, or template. Um, there are lots of great tools out there. You know, I, I know one law firm, fast-growing law firm that is offering um, as their uh, piece of content, they're offering stand, standardized legal documents as templates, like really? shareholders' agreements. They're just giving them away. They're giving them away. Really? And, and they're very well-written documents. But what they know is that most people want to ultimately customize their shareholders' agreement. Even yeah. though 90% of it might be standard, <laughs> yeah. there's still 10% that they need to mm. customize for their business. So who are they going to go to for that 10% of customization? Mm. They're going to go back to that law firm. And it's a powerful way of bringing in wow. um, customers. Um, so that's that's the first point. The second point I want to make is, again, I agree with you that there's a lot out there. And so it's not enough to just produce good content. Mm. You also need to make sure that the copy and the design looks great and creates cut through. So if you're mm. doing an ad on Facebook, for example, or even a Google ad, a lot depends on what you write. We sometimes don't mm. give enough weight to, to copy. But I've seen in my clients and even some of the ads that I've done with my business that a particular piece of content that's put out online with one type of copy, mm. marketing copy, and one type of marketing image produced a certain result. And then when you use the exactly the same piece of content but change the copy slightly and you change the image, it it produced a fundamentally different result. Really? Uh, and it was exactly the same stuff underneath. Exactly the same. It was high-value content, but mm. it, made, it made a big difference. So you do need to be able to differentiate what you're doing otherwise yes you may not see the cut through that you want to achieve mm -hmm. that's uh 
That's very interesting. So we've talked about uh, content uh, marketing. Uh, we've talked about SEO. Uh, we'll talk about the funnel, which I want to pick up on again soon. But uh, what other ways online uh, can you generate business? Can you generate leads? Are there any other sort of strategies? Well, let, me, let me use. Let me talk about a strategy which is which can be done online. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be done online, though. And and I think it's another gap for business owners. Yeah. So what often happens is even when you build awareness, you bring people into your your world, you you service them or you sell them a product, and they come out the other end happy. Right. Congratulations, yeah. you've done yeah. a great job. Now, what we often then do is go back to the start and try and bring in new customers mm. and, and bring them through the process and make them happy. The problem is that they're not leveraging the existing happy customers mm. for referrals. What they do is they, they, they say to themselves, and I've heard this refrain you know, a thousand times, is, well, if I've delivered a great service um, – and they're happy, well, they'll, they'll go away and tell others. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is occasionally they might, yeah. but in people are not going to do that in droves no. just off their own bat, right? People are busy. People have got other things going on in their lives. They're not thinking about, you know, referring you to, you know, their <laughs> podiatrist, right? Even if you had a good experience with that podiatrist. Yeah. Well, they've got to be talking about foot pain to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and how is that a great topic of conversation? <laughs> Although there are some people that, that do like to talk about every single uh, every single thing that might be slightly wrong with them. True. I've so, got a good mate of mine who uh, who's, who's like that. Right. So for those people, um, that might be an okay strategy. He, he's a great PR. I know every single one of his doctors. He, he'll tell me all about which, which doctor or which specialist he's seen for his minor complaints. So you, you, you <laughs> do an influencer. Get, you do get, yeah, you get, do get these <laughs> sorts of influences out there. Yeah. Um, and, and great. For those people, that might be enough. Just, just mm. deliver a great experience and they'll tell everyone they know. But for most people, we're not going out there promoting other businesses. Mm. And, um, and yet, the reality is that if we were prompted to do that in a, in a gentle but proactive way, we may actually do it. And in mm. particular, even if we, if we were incentivized to do it in some way, we're going to be even more likely to do it. And so what I often tell business owners is that one missed opportunity for growth is leveraging your existing happy customers Mm. for referrals. You just need to be proactive about asking them to do it. Yeah. You obviously can't force anyone to do it. No. But- we, I often get my clients to implement a proactive referral campaign where they'll go out mm. to their happy customers and they'll invite them to refer. They'll offer them some sort of incentive. Could be anything from a voucher to, in some cases, um, I've got one client who offered a free iPad to every really? yeah to every person who referred them another customer. Now they've done the the return on investment yeah, calculation. They obviously got high value for each uh, customer or client they bring in. They do, and these are customers that will be ongoing customers. Mm. So it's going to produce value over yeah. time. So yeah. even if the very first sale might only it's break bit, even for yeah, them, it's okay. Over the course of a year, two years, five years they're going to see significant return on investment. And so yeah. they've actually had some customers literally calling them up saying, um, I did this with you the other week, the other, the other year, and I, last year, and I got an iPad. Now my other kid wants an iPad. Um, <laughs> if I refer another customer to you, well, can I get a second iPad? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, sure, no worries. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually funny you're talking about asking for referrals because – I remember once in probably about 10 or so years ago, I went uh, in the financial advice. There was some you know, financial planning coach, and this was quite common. And he, uh, he was a sales sort of you know, day, right? It was absolutely terrible. But one of the things he said was, what you have to do is after you've, you know, you've met with a client, you've given them their insurance policy or whatever, you have to ask them for three names, mm. three names and phone numbers. And you know, if they can't do it, you literally wait there, stare them in the eye until they give you three names. You lock, uh, and you lock just, the room and don't let yeah, them out. And I just looked at this guy and said, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but there are still people that say, ask for referrals, ask for referrals. And I mean, what do you think of that? In a, is that something that you you could you should do? Like, if you're meeting with client people regularly, do you actually, you know, ask them for a referral 
person to person, or what you're suggesting is is that you um, ask them a referral, you know, in some digital way. Yeah, and so there are a couple of ways to do it. So one is you can literally ask them. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you feel comfortable with that client, you know you've delivered a good service for them Mm. and you do in a way that is not pushy and you're not going to force them into it or (laughs) lock the door and not let them out until they give you your three names or stare (laughs) them down, then I think most people – most people are okay with being asked the question. Yeah. And if they're not comfortable with it, they'll say, oh, you know what, I'll get back to you, and, yeah. and they won't get back to you. And yeah. that, that's okay. I don't think that's a problem. No. But you can also do this digitally. Mm. And, and you can, in fact, some businesses that I work with set up an automated process whereby mm. as soon as a customer has come in, had their service done, they then get an automated email that says that asks them, you know, if you, in some cases, ask them to rate their experience. Yeah. And then if they rated it positively, then they get a, a second message which mm. says, um, we'd love you to be part of our referral program. Here's what you get if you mm. can refer others. Mm. And you see certain businesses out there that have grown rapidly and and exponentially as a result of this strategy. I mean, you know, Uber and Dropbox are two you know, well-known examples. Yeah. Dropbox grew their entire business by ref- by providing people with extra storage space mm. for every person they referred on. Yeah. You refer on. That's how they grew. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, is, uh, I remember having a discussion with with uh, my business coach about it. And the issue with referrals often for people is is that they're scared of referring. They're scared of referring someone and something goes wrong. Mm. You know, that's actually a big reason why people don't do it. So you've got to try and work out a way to make it, uh, I don't know, maybe less of a big deal or less scary for them to do it. If, if someone if someone refers, uh, if I've got a really good client, they refer someone else to me, they're planned, I mean, they may be really happy with me, but there, there may still be a bit of a fear there. Mm. What if it doesn't work out? What's it going to do to my friendship? Right. Uh, look, I, I think some people will have that, mm. that fear, mm. if you like. Um, and... You know, again, one way to help overcome that is that when you when you're asking people for the referral, you're not asking them to you know promise results. Yeah, you're asking them to start a relationship, mm. to open up the door to a relationship. Mm. And if something comes from it, fantastic. Right, people will ultimately make their own decisions. Right, and if that first step is sort of an easier first step, then it probably it probably you know makes that e- that easier. In, in, absolutely, you've got, in fact, you've got to make it as easy as possible for them, don't you? You do, and you know, in fact, some businesses that I work with, in in furthering this exact issue, when they send when they created their referral campaign, what they did is they asked people to send on a piece of content, right? right. So rather than asking them to go and bring on a new client straight away, which someone might be reluctant to do, they ask them to simply send out a piece of valuable mm, content. And, that's smart. And that, they were happy to do that. Yeah. And that's what's built the relationship yep. and, and trust, et yep. cetera. All right, Joel, that's been really good. We're getting towards uh, the end of the show. And what I always do ask uh, my guests is for their three top tips. So what I'm going to ask you today is for your three top tips uh, for business owners uh, embarking on a digital marketing strategy. All right. So one of the key points I made earlier and one I, I stand by is that you need to build awareness in the minds of your target market proactively. And the key to that is to ask yourself, where do where does your target market search or mm-hmm. where does your target market hang out? And if yep. you want to implement a digital strategy, you need to align your strategy with where your target market is looking. If they're looking on Google, then great. AdWords or SEO might work well. If they're on Facebook, it might work work well. If they're on LinkedIn, that might work well. That's, yep. that's tip one. Yep. Um, tip two is around content marketing. This is where we said rather than trying to push people to buy from you immediately, you need to build trust first. And the way to do that is by delivering genuinely valuable content to them via whether it's an ebook, whether it's blog articles, whether it's inviting them to taste what it is you do for free or for you know a, a limited or, or, or reduced amount. 
it's something that brings them in the door and gives them a taste of what it is you provide. If you can do that, you're going to convert more people to customers. Only a small percentage of people will see your initial marketing and come on board right away. Mm-hmm. That's the second yep. key piece of advice. And the third key piece of advice is around proactive referral programs. Mm. We sometimes expect that happy customers will go on and tell others about us. The reality is many won't. And therefore, if you want to leverage those happy customers, you need to ask for referrals proactively via a deliberately designed referral campaign, usually with some incentive that politely and respectfully asks them to refer you to others. And when you do that, you're going to see significant uptake of referrers. Excellent, Joel. Thank you very much for joining us today. Just very quickly, uh, where's the best place that people can go to find out more about you? They can either go to my website at thechangecoach.co or they can jump on mindfulentrepreneur.co and they can find out a bit about our book and our online um, business coaching program called The Growth System. Okay, terrific. Thank you very much, Joel. And uh, we're getting towards the end, but we do have time for my propeller head of the week. Now, my propeller head of the week this week is five reasons why your accountant and financial planner should work together. The first reason is tax, tax. Now, tax should not be a dominating factor when you're making investment decisions. It might not be dominating, but it is a very important factor, particularly for business owners and those that have uh, those that are higher income earners and have got some complex affairs. Really important that any financial advice does incorporate your tax and the accountant is the repository of that information. Number two, ease of access to information. The numbers don't lie. The initial advice process, we do generally need to get a lot of data and often your accountant will have a lot of that themselves. So if they're working well together, they can save you time in terms of that initial data gathering process. Number three, both are trusted advisors. They have different roles. There is some overlap, particularly in the area of superannuation, but it's really important that there is respect between those two professionals. That will work in your favor. Number four, administration. That's the boring stuff. We spend a whole lot of time in our business getting all the tax reports and every bit of information ready for the client's accountant for the end of the year. If we, if you have a good relationship between your financial planner and your accountant, it's going to save you doing a whole lot of that boring stuff and making sure that nothing gets missed. And five, finally, if something does go wrong, uh, if there's a tragedy uh, or something goes wrong in your financial affairs, it's really important to have those two advisors, your financial advisor and your accountant working together to help you through any of those inevitable issues which come up at some point in your life. So thank you very much for joining us today on the show. It's been uh, it's been great. If you want to uh, hear any of my other shows, please search The Finance Hour on iTunes. If you go to iTunes, I'd be really appreciative if you would leave us a review. Otherwise, you can also find out more about me on my website, adaptwealth.com.au, and there is a dedicated part of my website for the podcasts. So you can check them out there with the show notes as well.